I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. I call your attention to the outline of my message on the back of your bulletin, because as usual, there are some blanks for you to fill in so that you can assist me this week in uh, getting the message out. And also, there on the back of your bulletin uh, are seven steps toward a more meaningful, powerful prayer life. And I hope you'll take this home with you, and I hope it uh, is a blessing for you. The scripture lesson for the morning comes from the sixth chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with verse 5. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive the other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. The great preacher Harry Emerson Fosdick once stood with a group of other tourists right beside Niagara Falls, and they were just mesmerized by this majestic spectacle. And the guide said to the group, folks, you are looking at the greatest unused power on earth. And Dr. Fosdick spoke up and said, sir, I beg to differ. The greatest unused power on earth is prayer. Surely the most underutilized power is not ethanol power or solar power or even nuclear power. It's the power of God channeled through prayer. Now, surveys in America have revealed that 71% of Americans believe that God definitely answers prayers. Another 15% believe that God probably does. So, you combine those two, 86% of Americans 
believe that prayer is effective. Nevertheless, only a small percentage of Americans have a specific time every day when they turn to God in prayer. Why in the world is that? Well, it's a testimony to Satan's skill as a salesman, and he is a master salesman. Satan, by the way, has a three-point strategy that never changes because it works. Keep them out of church, out of the Bible, and out of prayer. And if he can do two out of three, he'll beat you most every time. Now, in regard to prayer, Satan uh, has some favorite arguments to use against praying. Satan will whisper in your ear and he'll say, hey, don't you remember that prayer you offered sometime back? And I don't see that it's been answered. Or Satan will whisper to you and say, you know, you're awfully busy today. You got a lot on your plate. Maybe later you can pray, but not right now. And then sometimes the devil whispers, you know, don't bother God with that. Prayer should be saved for true emergencies. Yes. And let me ask you this. Don't most of us spend more time every day on our smartphones than we do in prayer? Now, many Christians treat prayer as a spiritual airbag. I've got this owner's manual in my car, and it says this. Frontal airbags for the driver and right front passenger are designed to deploy in moderate to severe crashes. A lot of people regard prayer as a spiritual airbag. Only use it in emergencies. I heard about two fishermen who were out in a huge lake uh, in a very small boat, and suddenly a violent thunderstorm came up. And suddenly the wind was gusting 35 miles an hour, and, and waves were, were crashing over into the little boat, and it looked like it was going to be swamped. And so this was an emergency, time for drastic measures. So one of the fishermen shouted out in prayer above the sound of the wind, and he said, Oh, God, I haven't bothered you for 15 years, and if you get us out of this mess, I won't bother you for another 15 years. <laughs> that prayer must have tempted to God to let that little boat capsize. Prayer is one of God's greatest gifts to us. Prayer is a God extender. We've been given the high and holy privilege of channeling some of God's power to needed places and persons. Now, there are some deep mysteries to prayer that I certainly don't understand, but let me share with you what God and the Bible have revealed to me. God can do whatever He wishes, whether we pray or not. But when we pray, we give God an opportunity to accomplish His will more quickly and more effectively than if we did not pray. Prayer is not persuading God to do something. It's just laying hold on God's willingness. Let me say that again. Prayer is not persuading God to do something. It is just laying hold on God's willingness. Ah, but I can sense some of you thinking, oh, Brother Bill, I, I ask in prayer for something, and so far it hadn't happened, and so it, it kind of discouraged me in my prayer life. Well, let me try to respond to you with what the Bible teaches. God always answers the sincere prayers of His children. 
He answers in three different ways. Often he answers, yes, and we are delighted. That's the answer we would prefer always, of course. Yes. God loves to say yes to requests of ours that are in accord with his will. Second way that God answers is yes, but not yet. You see, God's timing is perfect. Ours is not. And this is one reason for having a prayer journal, because let's suppose you ask for some, something from God today, and he answers it in three months. Well, good chance is you've forgotten in three months that you requested it. And so having a prayer journal where you keep a record of requests made to God and, and his answers really is a builder of faith. And then there's a third way God answers. Sometimes he says no, but he never says no, period. When he says no, he adds, I've got a better idea. I've got a better idea. Now, you know from time to time, <clears throat> I make reference to country music. Now, some of you don't appreciate country music. I know that. But may I say this to you very lovingly? You are culturally unbalanced. Yes, yes. I mean, you're missing some of the rich treasures of American culture. I mean, some of the great truths that have been expressed. I mean, the saddest, including the saddest song ever written by the late George Jones, entitled, He Stopped Loving Her Today. I mean... That song can even bring the most heartless cynic to tears. Yes. Well, Garth Brooks, who has blended rock and pop into country music, some years ago put out a song about prayer. And of course, like most country music, it tells a story. A young man and his wife go back to his hometown after being away five or six years. <clears throat> they go back for a high school football game. And there the young man runs into his old flame from high school. And that brought back some memories because back in high school, he was desperately in love with her, but she didn't feel that way toward him. And so he prayed fervently every night, Oh, Lord, if you'll just make her fall in love with me, I'll never ask anything else from you. But it didn't happen. Now... As he looks at this old flame, she doesn't look as good as he remembered <laughs> her from high school. And as she walks away, he looks at his wife, and she looks a whole lot better than that old flame. And he thinks what a treasure she is in his life. And then comes the chorus. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Just because he may not answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. <clears throat> there is only one skill that Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them. He didn't ask them to teach them how to preach. He didn't ask them to uh, teach them uh, how to build a church. He didn't ask them, they didn't ask him how to heal. They asked Jesus only how to pray because they sensed that prayer was a powerful conduit of God's grace and power from God the Father to God the Son. That great Methodist pioneer in America, Bishop Francis Asbury, 
wrote this. It is plain to me that the devil will let us read always if we will not pray. But prayer is the sword of the preacher, the life of the Christian, the terror of hell, and the devil's plague. And Charles Allen, the late great Methodist preacher down in Houston, said this, the main job of the church is to teach people to pray. Therefore, let's look at Jesus' instructions concerning prayer, and I'm going to lift up five key pointers that Jesus gave us in our text today, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. And beneath each one of the five on the screens you see will be a picture of one of our beautiful Mount Horeb children. First, address your prayer to God, not to people. <clears throat> in verse 5, Jesus said, pray to your Father. And the first words of the Lord's Prayer, of course, are our Father in heaven. When we offer prayers in public, and we preachers have to be particularly careful, we must be careful to address God, not the people who are listening to us pray. I want you to imagine if a pastor on the last Sunday of the year were to include this statement in his uh, corporate morning prayer. Lord, you know that any contribution that the church receives after December 31 cannot be credited to this year's expenses, so there's a real urgency to complete pledges right away. Amen. <laughs> now, I doubt God would need a reminder of the church's fiscal year. And as for the IRS rules on contributions, maybe only God can understand them fully. But that portion of the prayer, as you know, was not directed to God. It was directed to the congregation. Our prayer should be directed to God. I heard one of our national leaders make this statement on television. Our thoughts and prayers go to the relatives of those who died in the tragic airlines crash. Now that leader meant well, but he didn't understand prayer. Our prayers do not go to people. Our thoughts and our condolences do. Our prayers go only to God. The leader should have said this, we offer prayers to God on behalf of those grieving families. Now, Jesus urged that most of our prayers be private because he knew the temptation of trying to impress people by our praying. In fact, the, the Pharisees did it in Jesus' day, and he was aggravated by it. When we pray in public, we got to ask God's special help that we keep focused on Him, not on the people who listen to our prayers. And by the way, don't ever worry about saying the right words in prayer. God is so tolerant. God can put up with bad syntax, bad grammar. Doesn't bother God. And, and God understands every accent. From a Boston brogue to a Charleston drawl, even the clipped lingo of a New York City taxi driver. And, and indeed, I understand that many people have been motivated to pray by New York taxi drivers. <clears throat> the second point that Jesus makes about prayer is a cautionary word. Don't filibuster God. In verse 7, Jesus said, And when you pray, don't, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Some of our best prayers, some of the best prayers, are the shortest ones. 
like one offered by a layman out in Arizona who said, Lord, help me be the kind of person my dog thinks I am. Yeah. And the prayer warrior, Terry Teichel, says that some people pray long prayers because they believe in the lottery principle. The more tickets you buy, the greater your chance to win. And therefore, the longer you pray, maybe the more God will answer. That is false. Uh, chapter 18 of the book of 1 Kings describes a prayer contest. Do you remember from the Old Testament? Elijah had a contest with the, the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, up on the top of Mount Carmel, had an altar there. And the contest was to ask God to bring fire down on the altar. And those 450 prophets of Baal, they prayed all day. They cut themselves with swords, thinking that would impress God. They shouted. They danced all day long. Nothing happened. And then it was Elijah's turn. And there's no indication he even raised his voice. His prayer consisted of two sentences. But when he said, Amen, fire came down from heaven and consumed that altar. God is not hard of hearing. Long, loud prayers are not better than quiet, soft, short ones. Here's Jesus' third bit of advice. Prayer should begin with praise. In verse 9, Jesus begins his model prayer with praise, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And to hallow means to honor God as holy and sacred. Before bringing your wish list or your gripe list to God, think for a moment of who He is and what He's done in your life. All the way from Calvary's cross to your daughter's smile. And by the way, did you know it's almost impossible to praise God and be depressed at the same time? It's true. Little girl was taking a walk with her dad on one warm summer night like we've had so much this summer. And it was a clear night, and so the sky was ablaze with the moon and an array of stars. And with a sense of childlike wonder, the little girl said, Daddy, if the bottom side of heaven is so beautiful, just think what the top side must look like. And that little girl was channeling the psalmist who said, Let us come before God with thanksgiving. You know, when teenagers want to talk with their parents, just a little word of advice here for teenagers. The conversation is not usually very productive if you start off with a gripe list or a want list. Ah, but if you start off by saying, I love you, I appreciate you, and I thank you, that conversation gets so much more productive. Well, God is better than the best parent. <clears throat> and by the way, God has no ego problem. He's not dependent on us telling him how great he is. But he loves to hear his children say, I love you and I thank you. Jesus' fourth pointer about prayer is this. It's fine to ask for personal needs. <clears throat> In the Lord's Prayer, you know, we have give us this day our daily bread. And you know that daily bread means more than daily bread. Jesus is talking about a lot of our everyday needs, including air to breathe, clothing, housing, a job, a friend, a lifetime partner, rest at the end of the day, all of those things, whatever we need. One day, one Sunday, 
uh, in worship, there was a young child, about two and a half years old, little boy, who was acting up. Uh, he was fussing, making noises. And his parents did everything they could to calm him down, gave him a little piece of candy, something to color on. Nothing would fix him. He would fuss, make noise. He was distracting people. Finally, his exasperated father picked him up and started walking sternly up the middle aisle toward the exit. And just before they got to the door, the little fellow shouted to the congregation, pray for me, pray for me. <laughs> well, when we're in trouble or need something, God is always on alert. And by the way, God does not hang up on us if we complain or fuss with him. Jesus, while hanging on the cross, cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? And haven't you ever felt like crying out, Lord, why did you allow that to happen? I just don't understand. Why is life so unfair? And maybe you haven't said that, but I have. <clears throat> a, young past, a young man went to his pastor one day uh, with a problem, and he told his pastor, he said, my prayer life is just dry and unsatisfying. And uh, the pastor said, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Give me some background. And the young man's third sentence was this, my dad died when I was 10. And the pastor stopped him right there, and he said, wait a minute. Your dad died when you were 10. Tell me about that. And the young man's eyes teared up, and he said, it was devastating. I felt so lonely. I felt so forsaken. At the Little League games, I was the only kid on the team who didn't have a dad cheering in the stands. It, it was awful. Pastor said, have you told God about that? The young man said, well, well, no, no. Well, why not? The pastor asked. Young man said, well, I, I just didn't feel like, I didn't feel it was proper or reverent to, to say that to God. Pastor said, listen, God is a loving heavenly father. And if you keep part of your heart and experience roped off, no trespassing to God, he can't help you the way he wants to. Now you tell him exactly what it was like at age 10. Have a long talk with God and then come back and meet with me again. When the young man returned, he was a different person. He had allowed all of that hurt and anger to get out. And then once that baggage had been aired, the love of God began to clean and heal his feelings. And prayer became deeply meaningful to him. Share your hurts, your needs, your heart with God because you are his beloved child and nothing is off limits. He wants you to share anything and everything that is important to you. Notice a fifth and final pointer from Jesus about prayer. Ask for forgiveness and extend it to others. In verse 12, Jesus urges us to pray, forgive us our debts or trespasses as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then at the end of Jesus' model prayer, there's a warning. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
There's only one factor that can prevent God from forgiving you. And that is your unwillingness to forgive somebody else. President Ronald Reagan was almost killed in 1982 by an attempted assassin named John Hinckley. And Reagan's daughter, Patty Davis, recalled her father's reaction to that tragic event. She wrote this, The following day, my father said he knew his physical healing was directly dependent on his ability to forgive John Hinckley. By showing me that forgiveness is the key to everything, including physical health and healing, he gave me an example of Christ-like thinking, end of quote. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to realize that the prisoner is you. Now that we've considered lessons from Jesus on prayer, I want to offer an action plan that I believe may make your prayer life more meaningful and powerful. Printed in your bulletin that I hope you'll take home. First, keep a daily appointment with God and allow only an emergency to change that appointment. In other words, that's top priority. Find a quiet place, turn off your smartphone, and read at least a few verses of Scripture and then pray. Talk with God. Number two, thank God for three specific blessings. Name them. Big ones, little ones, middle size. Thank God for the child who hugs you when you come home from work. Thank God for the white blossoms on that pear tree. Thank God for air conditioning. Number three, confess one specific failing or sin. Ask God to forgive and change you. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number four, pray for at least three other persons, including one that you don't like very much. Number five, share with God at least one of your personal needs. Doesn't have to be limited to one. Number six, ask God to fully activate his Holy Spirit within you for the next 24 hours. God has promised to do that. And that Holy Spirit will fill you with the power and the grace to live effectively and victoriously. And seventh and finally, pray for your local church and your denomination. Church leaders are neither smart enough nor righteous enough to guide the church. But God will help them if we ask. The renowned British preacher, Leslie Weatherhead, told a beautiful story about a, an, an old Scottish gentleman who was seriously ill. And the pastor went to visit him. And he noticed a, a chair right beside the old man's bed. And so he started to sit down in it. And, and the old man said, no, pastor, that chair is reserved. Pull out that chair right over there and pull it up beside my bed, which he did. And then the old man said, pastor, let me tell you about that chair that I wouldn't let you sit in. That's God's chair. He said, years and years ago, and my prayer life was getting nowhere. It was not meaningful. I couldn't seem to communicate with God. 
So the man who was my pastor then, I went to him and asked his help. And he said, I'm going I'm to make a suggestion to you. He said, when you pray, sit down in a chair, pull another chair right up in front of you, and think of God as sitting in that chair, and then you talk to him as you would to any trusting, loving friend. And the old man said, that's what I've been doing for years now. And my prayer life is so much more wonderful. And so that chair there is reserved for God. <clears throat> Two days later, that old man's daughter called the pastor and said, Pastor, last night Papa passed on to heaven. He died very peacefully. When we found him early this morning, uh, he looked so tranquil. One thing I don't understand, she said, uh, his, his hand was resting on that chair beside his bed, and that seemed sort of strange to me. Pastor said, no, dear, that's not strange at all. I understand completely. He was just reaching out in trust to his best friend. Isn't that what prayer is all about? Just reaching out in trust to the one who is not only our Savior and Lord, but is also our best friend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.